same vein that we've been mentioned uh, for the last couple of services now, two or three services, in dealing with Pentecost and aspects of Pentecostal worship. And uh, I'm not going to try to title this today. It's just a continuation of where we've been. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, we're glad to have for Roger, Max, and the kids and our chaperones. And all of our kids were in Greenland Youth Camp this week. They had a wonderful time. The Lord bless them. Brother Roger, uh, we given a report on that tonight. Everybody got home safe and sound. We still have luggage on the way. I understand. Amen. We appreciate the burden that, uh, that, that our guys have for our youth. We need to pray for them. God will strengthen them and bless them. Amen. And their work as they minister to our young people. Isaiah uh, chapter number 6. And I'm going to have to read kind of slow because I went back through this this morning and I sermonized my uh, scripture text as I read through this. But in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 1, I'll try not to keep us long today, but it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another. This was not a divided, disjointed effort of praise and worship. It was unified. The Bible said, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the Bible says here again in yet another place in Scripture that the house was filled with smoke. Would you point your hand this way and let's ask the Lord to anoint us together this morning. Father, we love you today. God, I thank you for the moving of your spirit in this service already. I have felt your presence in a mighty way. I felt the liberty, God, to worship, to sing, and not to preach. Oh, God, and I pray that you would have your way in this service in every way today. And I pray that your glory would come down in this house and on somebody's life and on somebody's situation this morning. I believe you to do it, and by faith I call it done. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen. And amen, you might be seated. When we have services like we're having today, this morning, and I feel what I have been feeling, it is amazing to me that the house isn't absolutely packed out and we're not having to put chairs out. Amen. So I'm telling you there's glory in this house. I've not only traveled around this country, I've traveled around this world, and I tell you, I know what's real, and I know what's not real. I know what's there, and I know what is not there, and there's glory in this house. And we must always be hungry for that. 
We must never come to a place that we're willing to settle for anything less than that. We cannot ever come to a place that we take that for granted. That must always be our heart's desire to give to God for sure what God is worthy of when we come together, but to create that atmosphere that's conducive to a mighty move of God, an outpouring of the Holy Ghost for the rain of Pentecost to fall upon us, the fire to burn, the wind to blow, amen, the smoke to fill the house, the cloud to come down because we come from different situations that we deal with as we go through our lives and our week in our homes, and our jobs, and our schools, and wherever life might take us or find us, we deal with the difficulties of life each and every day, uh, especially if you're a part of a mainline church. Now, I, I don't say that to disparage any other church in any other place, but when I say a mainline church, I'm talking about a biblical church in every sense of the word. I, I'm talking about a church that is doing what God has called the church to do. Not just that church, but the church. What God has called the church to do. I was, I was praying this morning and yesterday as I was coming home and I thought about, you know, the different phases of, of church life and how God moves and how God blesses and how God prepares us for what God wants us to do. And I remember times of great blessing when it, just seemed like every time we came together, God just moved in a great way. And I've watched through the years of people, as people have gotten their minds uh, in the train of thought, what they think church should be. Church should be uh, good services, and that's true. We ought to have good services when we come to church, and we ought to have a, a great time in the presence of the Lord. And we know there are those times of refreshing and those times of blessing, and that's what they are. But they're never an end in and of themselves. God always pours into us to do something to prepare us and to give us what's necessary to really be the church, not just to receive, but to give, to have something to give away, to say, such as I have, give I unto thee. You cannot have until it's been given unto you, and that's what God does all along the line. He blesses us. He touches us. He, he gives to us, but you cannot give if you do not have, and if you have and do not give, you not only fail God, but you fail those in need who are in and among us and those who are around us and those who are outside the borders of the walls of our church and the borders of our, our community, our state, and our nation. So we have to understand that what God does in us is for a purpose. Amen. It's always for a reason. And a lot of churches, it's sad to say, have settled for the mindset of the blessing. And, and you know, we're blessed and God has been good to us, and I thank God for that. But the mindset today is, is good services and then, you know, a good fellowship and all of those wonderful things, good singing, and, and most of it has produced, when they settle there, a consumer mentality. Church becomes to them, what can I receive when I get there? And that becomes the sum and total of their worship and the reason for that. 
And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why uh, the church growth experts say that every five or so years, you ought to break things up. You ought to change the way you do things because anything and everything gets old to everybody after time. Is that right? Say amen. Once you become used to anything, you just uh, become used to it, and it's just another something that you're a part of or that you're involved in. So uh, we have to change things along the line to, 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 to strike the fancy, to, to stimulate the emotion, to, uh, to just break it up and give people something new to expect when they come to church. At least that's what you do if that's all you see church as. But I said to a, a younger pastor here a while back, I said, enjoy the blessings of God while the blessings are falling. Enjoy this time of revival. It is a time, whether you realize it or not, of preparation. And every church must move from the time of blessing and from the time of preparation into a time of work. If all you have every Sunday and it just continues on and continues on and continues on, it's just good church services, good singing, good fellowship, and you've just been blessed. I've pastored long enough to know you ain't really having church after a period of time. You just throw it a party. I remember in those days, pastoring, when, when it just seemed like God was pouring his blessings out on our church. You know, three years, it just seemed like it rained in this house. And I'd have to deal with a little sin once in a while, and that might keep me up at night, and I, I might have to deal with a little personality conflict in the church, and that might stress me out a little bit. But I can tell you, we had to go from that time to a time of work and purpose in the divine will of God. And when you begin to move out there and affect your community and affect your world, you understand then what it means to have church. Amen. It means to have church to be the church, not just to receive what God has for you. And I thank God for it all, but to give away what God has put in you. Amen. But to do that, there has to be a fresh living revelation of God. And that revelation comes to the church through everyday life as we press through the problems and as we, we press through the turmoils in our, in our lives, in our home, in our nation, and in this world. We, we don't just look around with, with through rose-colored glasses, so to speak, and, and just shout over the trouble that's there. We understand that we're here in the middle of it all to make a difference for God and to bring God greater glory. Understanding, though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. And David said, Yea, though I walk through the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Now there's a principle here in the Word of God. It is that God revives his people in trouble. That God revives his people in trouble. And so trouble becomes a blessed thing in hindsight when you've seen the blessings of God that have come to your life to enable you to be more effective for God. Everybody comes to this. And the answer to it all is the glory of God. To give God the worship and the adoration and the praise that he deserves and the service, but that his glory continually 
daily fills your life and fills the church. I got I to gotta move on here. Forgot to start my timer. Isn't that something? Amen. But in Isaiah chapter 6, it tells us that it is a very troublesome time in Judah. King Uzziah has died, struck with leprosy because he's lifted up in pride and he disobeyed God. But Uzziah represented stability in Judah. Now Uzziah is dead. The nation is in mourning and the nation is in turmoil. And this is why and this is when Isaiah goes to the temple to pray. Now, Isaiah is on his way to the temple. He's looking for answers. He's looking for reality. He's seeking the Lord. Now, Isaiah doesn't know it yet, but God is about to use the opportunity of Isaiah's distress to reveal himself to his prophet. Amen. God is about to take advantage of Isaiah's distress to reveal himself and his greater purpose in the prophet's life. Now, you never know what great problem will bring great revelation. And like Isaiah, just be sure to let the problem point you in the right direction. Come on, say amen. Problems are an everyday part of everyday life. And having good church doesn't eliminate big problems. If you believe it, say amen. We don't live this thing long enough to understand that problems are a part of life. Problems are a part of service. Problems are a part of church life. Oh, what an easy walk it would be if there never were problems. But there's always been problems. There are problems, and problems will, you know, just always be a part. The Bible tells us that we're just a few days of trouble. We're like a vapor here today, gone tomorrow, but we deal with everything life and the devil throws at us. Then the things, the troubles we cause ourselves, all along the line. But we must always make sure, church, that those times of trouble point us in the right direction. Listen to me. If your heart's in trouble, if your mind's in distress, if your spirit is in turmoil, go to prayer. Amen. Go to church. Get in the presence of God because amazing things happen when good, faithful people show up and get in the presence of God with big problems. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, and I got to go on. Amen. God is a problem solver. But if God don't solve your problem when you get in his presence, God will bless you in the midst of your trouble and in the midst of your problems. Amen. Oh, when you're serving God, there's always a light at the end of that tunnel. The pessimist would say the light at the end of the tunnel is a train. Amen. You might be in trouble. The optimist would say the light at the end of the tunnel is daylight shining in the way out. But when I say God's a light at the end of the tunnel, that means he's the hope. He's the mark. I'm pressing through this darkness toward him because I know when I get to God and I know when God gets to me, something is going to change. Hallelujah. The problem might not change, but I'm going to change in the presence of the Lord. I've got to go on here.
Amen. The Bible said in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train, this is where I want to be this morning, his train filled the temple. Now that's God's presence and God's glory. That's his presence and his glory. Then verse 2 said, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face. That's wings of reverence. I have to stop right here. I want you to notice the incapacity and the inability of the highest creature to gaze undazzled into the face of a thrice holy God. These are wings of reverence said to my wife here a while back, we were in a service, and it was just strange. It wasn't for lack of emotions or lack of feel or lack of worship. It was just different. You know, I won't go into all of the, uh, the things and the, uh, the calisthenics and the stuff, you know, but she said, that's one of the strangest services I've ever been in in my life. And I said to her, I'll tell you why that is. Anytime you remove the element of reverence, from a worship service, it is no longer a worship service, and it is no longer received as worship to God. We need reverence in the kingdom. We need reverence in the house of God. I don't care if it's a church service. Reverence God. I don't care if it's a funeral. I don't care if it's a wedding. Anytime we come in the presence of God, in any type of a service, that element of reverence must always be there. Amen. Or that worship is not right. Amen. Reverence. The Bible said above his throne stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings and with twain he covered his face. Wings of reverence. And with twain he covered his feet. That's wings of humility. And with twain he did fly. That's wings of service. Amen. And I love this. And the Bible said and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I've pictured this in my mind a thousand times over the years, and I can see those seraphim over the throne of God as they're beholding the splendor and the glory of God. And one cries and says, Holy. And another cries and says, Holy. And another cries and says, Holy. It's not divided worship. It's not disjointed worship. It was going on then as unified as together, amen, three seraphim praising God with one praise, holy, holy, holy. It's been going on before, since before Isaiah saw it. It was going on when Isaiah saw the vision, and it's going on today. While I'm preaching, there are seraphims hovering around the throne of a thrice holy God, and they're crying, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord of a host. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
Hallelujah. And what happens in the midst of that unified worship and that unified, undivided praise? The Bible said the door moved at the voice of him that cried. Amen. God shook that house. I said God shook that house. Hallelujah. The door moved at the voice. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Hallelujah. In verse number 1, it was his train. That's his presence and his glory. In this verse that I read, it's smoke that fills the house. That's his presence, his power, and his glory. Here the smoke, of course, is connected with the fire of the Spirit and a type of the Holy Ghost. And when Isaiah saw those seraphims cry, Holy, 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 it's the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Their praise shook the house and the glory of the Lord and that which typifies the power of the Holy Ghost. The Bible said filled that house. Hallelujah. Amen brother buddy. The Bible said it filled that house. The house was filled the Bible said with smoke. Amen. So God filled the house. Presence, power, and glory. Now watch this. When you see the word house or house of God or for that matter city of God in Scripture, it is a type of the church unless otherwise specified. And many times in Scripture it is associated with the Spirit moving in it. Somebody say amen. For instance, amen, you, you, you see associated with the house or the city, spirit, cloud, water, fire, smoke, and so on. For instance, amen, the Bible said John saw a river flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it flowed by the south side of the altar. You see the presence of the Father and the Son, and that river is the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says there is a river, and the streams thereof shall make glad the city of God. Hallelujah. That's the church. Let us cry holy. Let us give him praise. Let us recognize his presence and let his power make us glad. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Together, you and I are the house of God. Amen. Now, uh, the text said that the house was filled with smoke, the glory of the Lord. You remember where the Bible says, in earth, in earth as it is in heaven. Oh, my gosh. You see, oftentimes in Scripture in the Old Testament, you see heavenly patterns of a God-willed design on earth. The Bible said, in earth as it is in heaven. Now, the house, the Bible said, was filled with smoke. That's the presence, the power, and the glory of God. It was that same glory that Isaiah saw in heaven in the vision. As those seraphims cried out in unified worship, it was the same glory that filled the house in the dedication of the temple. 
so that the priests were not able to minister. What Isaiah saw in heaven, amen, at the unified worship of the seraphim around the throne of God is exactly what came down in the temple in 2 Chronicles 5, verses 13 and 14. As the trumpeters and singers were as one. That's not divided worship. That's not disjointed worship as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound, to be heard saying, praise the Lord for he is good. Look at somebody beside you and say he is good. Amen. God's a good God this morning. Hallelujah. And he goes on to say, and his mercy endureth forever. And look what happened. And the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. Now there's that word filled. Amen. God filled that house as they worshiped. His presence was there. His glory was there. His power was there so that the priest couldn't stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Hallelujah. I pray God let your glory fill this house today. Hallelujah. Let the power and the presence of a holy God fill this house. I tell you, church, if God would fill the heavens with his glory and if God would fill that heavenly temple with his glory, as those holy creatures worshiped a holy God. And if God's glory would fall in that temple and at the dedication in 2 Chronicles 5, that temple and that house are a type of the church. That glory of God is revealed to us by the Holy Ghost. You tell me why. Hallelujah. God wouldn't fill this house on a Sunday morning. Hallelujah. The Bible said that God God is that spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Amen. God is looking for a worshiper in the pew where you sit. God is looking for a worshiper in the place you occupy. God is looking for a worshiper in the McClinney Church of God, and if the praise is co-op, if we all worship him, his glory will come down. It's a pattern. It's the way. It's how God does things. It's the way God operates. It's what God does. So that the priest could not stand a minister by reason of the cloud. What is the one common denominator of the worshipers again? Unity. Well, it would have been disappointing to Isaiah if he'd seen in that vision the seraphim fighting. Wouldn't have been no glory. They'd have got cast out, just would have been a mess in heaven. God had to deal, God dealt with that stuff already. That's why we have a devil. He got disjointed. He got divided from the plan and the purpose of God. And God said, you're not going to cause that to stop what's going on up here. Get out. Jesus said, I was there. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He got booted out because he had his own agenda. Oh, God help me. 
Yeah. He had his own agenda. He had his own thing going on, and God said, it ain't about your thing going on. Amen. It's about me and my glory, my purposes. Amen. You can't have a unified church when everybody's got their own agenda. Say amen to me, somebody. Amen. You got to get those things called feelings out of your way. Some, I'm talking to somebody here this morning. You got to get those little divisions and those little problems. You're going to stop glory from coming to your life. But worse than that, you can stop a move of God if you affect enough people and enough area from moving in the way God wants to move in the church. In the church, I'd say something right here, but I don't want to sound mean. I don't want to because that's not the route that I'm trying to get in. Amen. It's the route I'm trying to go. I'm telling you, I want to see God's glory. God's glory is not optional. It is necessary for the church of our time. We must live in his glory. We must function in the glory of God. We must operate in the glory and the anointing of God. Now watch this. Uh, the same glory that filled the house in Isaiah chapter 6 is the same glory that came down and filled the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the same glory that filled the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them and they were all filled it filled the house and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance I want you to know it is a desire of God to fill the house to fill every saint in the house to fill the house with his power and with his glory I tell you God is looking across this earth this very moment God's eyes are up and down to and fro, and he's looking for a place to pour out glory, to send a revival, hallelujah, to say life on that house, to let the fire fall, the rain to send, the wind to blow, and the river to flow. Oh, God, let it be this house. My God, let it be this house. Let it be this preacher. Let it be this church. Fill this house with your glory, oh, God. Man, the glory does a few things when the glory comes down. It fills and it shakes. It fills and it shakes things up. Shakes people up. Shakes places up. You see that in the text in Isaiah, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Amazing things happened. In Acts chapter 2, it filled all the house where they were sitting, and then in the third chapter of Acts, that's an amazing chapter. Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. There's a man lame at the gate. And he's crying out for alms. Alms. Alms for the poor. And I don't know how many times Peter and John had passed by his way before. They've done come down from an upper room now. 
and they can't pass him by this time. And Peter fastened his eyes on him. Oh, God. Oh, he'd been in the presence of God. Glory filled that upper room. He's been baptized in the power of the Holy Ghost. Peter looks at that man and says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Hallelujah. Something's got a hold of Peter, and Peter is in possession of something. The Holy Ghost has him, and he has the Holy Ghost. He'd been filled. He says, such as I have, give I unto thee. That's more than a shout. That's more than a tongue. Are you helping me preach today? That's more than an amen. That's more than a hand clap. That's more than a hallelujah. He said, such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. And he got up. Then that third chapter flows into that fourth chapter. There's a man been healed. Peter and John's preaching in the name of Jesus who they have crucified and thought they'd got rid of. And they call him in and say, we'll hear no more of this nonsense from you two. Don't you preach in that name? Don't you work those miracles? We don't believe in that. They got a problem. There's a man over 40 years old that everybody knows has been sitting at that beautiful gate possibly, I guess, all of his life, all of his life, yes. He's been at that gate begging for alms. He's over 40 years old, and he's standing on his own two feet in the courthouse that day. And Peter said to those who said, don't preach in that name anymore. He said, we can't help but to speak and preach the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. Hallelujah. Sirs, we can't help it. We have to. Jeremiah said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. Hallelujah. You ever had something burn in you to the point that you just couldn't help it? Come on. You ever got a case of I can't help it in this Pentecostal way? That's what Peter and John had. We can't help it. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. But they remembered what made this possible from a prayer meeting just a little while ago in an upper room. And they said, let's pray again and let's see what God will do. God's done it in the Old Testament. God's done it in days gone by. And God just done it a few days ago. Let's see if it can happen now. And the Bible said that they got together and they prayed again. Amen. They prayed again. And they said, oh, God, they're after us. Amen. They're coming against us. And we need your help to speak this that you have put in us and to minister what you have put in us. And they're in that prayer meeting. And the Bible Bible said, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Who is they that were filled? It was the church. It was the people, and the people are the house. 
in Isaiah, he filled the temple, the house. In 2 Chronicles, he filled the house, the temple. In Acts chapter 2, he filled the house. And now in Acts chapter 4, he fills the house. And he shakes the house again. The Bible said that the place was shaken where they were assembled together. That's a powerful prayer meeting that sets off an earthquake. You hear what I'm saying? And the Bible said they're all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. I want to tell you something, McClendon Church. You've got God will still shake the house. He ain't going to shake it if you don't want him to. But if you want him to. Amen. You ever got in a prayer meeting and God just shook you all over? I mean, physically shook you. You got in there and you just, God just shook you when you got in his presence. I like verse 31 in Acts 4. And the multitude of them that believed, oh my. Watch this. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. That is what this comes to and that is what this produces. Don't you dare talk in tongues. Tell me how much Holy Ghost you got when you got problems with people in the church. I've had problems with people in the church in 30 years of ministry. You know what I've had to do? I've had to pray through it. I've had to get over it. And sometimes old memories come back. I want to come up and I want to think about things and I want to dwell on things. Perceived wrongs maybe. Major differences over time. But then that Holy Ghost starts dealing with me and says, you can't harbor that and do this. You can't harbor that and minister to this. This will fill up with that if you don't pray through it. Come on. We all have a responsibility because we are all of us connected in this house. God never said it was going to be easy. It's not easy. In fact, it is impossible. It is only by his touch and his anointing and his spirit that we from different backgrounds and, and all the complexities that come to the human life are able to function as one. But we can, my God, we can, because the blood of Jesus Christ has washed us and cleansed us and the spirit of our God has made us one, one with Christ and one with one another. For both he that sanctifieth and those who are sanctified are all of one. If you're not one with Christ, if you're not one with your pastor, if you're not one with your brother, if you're not one with your sister, you're not a part of this. And the multitude of them that believe were of one heart, and of one soul. Then you have in Acts chapter 10. I'm closing. Let's just read through this. The Bible said, while Peter yet spake these words. Peter got to preaching. Everybody's listening. He's Holy Ghost anointed. He done come through Pentecost in a prayer meeting that shook a house where they were praying. And he's preaching to Gentiles. Through the course of the preaching, everybody's hearts and minds lined up. And an amazing thing happened. You've been in those kind of services. I've been in those kind of services where you just had to quit. 
You could preach, but ain't nobody listening. They shout and run and jump and having a time in the presence of the Lord. Peter is preaching to the Gentiles on the Holy Ghost. I mean, he's got a message that's going to go down in the history books. He doesn't preach the first Pentecostal message. And now here you go with the outreach. He's preaching to the Gentiles. God is taking this from the Jews to the Gentiles. And Peter gets to preach. I get excited about some places where I get to preach. I know Peter's excited. I mean, God's had to deal with him. God's had to do some work on him after Pentecost. But he's got his man ready. And now his man's ready to preach. And the Bible said while Peter was preaching, while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. We all preachers call this a divine interruption. It's when that service is going on and the choir is singing and everything comes together and there's a divine interruption. The Holy Ghost just fills the house. Or it's when the preacher is preaching everything comes together. There's a divine interruption and the Holy Holy Ghost falls in the house or the special singers are singing and God says every mind is right every heart is in tune everybody's in sync amen the worship is not disjointed the worship is not disunified it's together and God says life on that house glory on that house let the fire fall let the river flow let the wind blow the Bible said while Peter yet spoke these words the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word I can imagine Peter man this is good but I got so much more I wanted to preach the Bible said and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished these are people that weren't supposed to believe. These are people that were supposed to oppose. And the, the, oh my. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. I can hear him say, if we hadn't have seen it, we wouldn't have believed it. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. A lot of preaching there. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And I, this is, I love this. Musicians, you can come on and help me close. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then prayed they, him. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. They've been exposed to something that most Pentecostals today take for granted. That's why when you have a revival, about a third of the church don't feel like it's necessary to come. And that's why on a Wednesday night and a Sunday night, those 
Sunday morning saints don't feel like it's a necessity to come. Do you know why you can do that? You may get upset with me this morning, but I didn't come here to preach you happy. I come here to preach you right. And I love you enough to do it. The only way you can do that and have that mindset is you don't love this like you're supposed to love it. But if you will love this like you're supposed to love it, God will put something on you that your mind cannot comprehend. And his spirit will reign in this house and on this place. And they said to him, Peter, this is wonderful. This is, this is, this is, <laughs> this is great. Please don't leave us. Stay with us. I mean, glory has filled this place. God shook us to our core. Let's, let's, just, let's do this again tomorrow night. And, and let's do it again the night after that. Peter, let's just stay here and have a revival. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, and you're standing with me. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And there's that word. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. God shook that place so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Here you had two unified in worship in a whole jail full of people that as far as we know most likely most of them many of them were not affiliated the jailer was not affiliated but when two made up their mind I'm going to worship God God said I like what I'm hearing I like what I'm seeing. Even in their pain and distress and in their persecution, they're giving me praise. God said, I'm fixing to do for them what Isaiah, what I showed Isaiah in the temple. I am fixing to do for them what I've done at the dedication. I'm fixing to do for them what I've done on the day of Pentecost. I'm fixing to do for them what I've done in that other prayer meeting they came I am fixing to shake that house you remember church first and foremost we got a beautiful house to worship in thank God for this house I love this place it you know it suits me right down to the ground I like the feel of it I like the looks of it we built this brother Jeff Somebody told me, Brother Amos, they said, Brother Amos, they said, do you want one of those round churches? I'm not disparaging round church. I said, no, I don't want no round church. I like to be able to look at people like this, not have to. I said, I, I, people surrounds me. I get nervous. I want to I look. I want it. I said, here's what I want to do. I said, if there's, not a, if there's not a piece of furniture in this place, in this building, I don't want it to look like a multi-purpose building. I don't want it to look like a gym. I want it to be that if there wasn't a pew or an altar or a pulpit or a piano, when somebody walks in, they could look at it and say, this is a church house. Hey, I'm, I'm churchy like that. 
I said, I want it to look like a church, and it looks like a church. Thank God for this beautiful house. And I'll tell you something, I'll tell you what I'm more thankful for this morning, this house. You and I are the house of God, the city of God. The Holy Ghost is that river, that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb through that city, through that house. The Holy Ghost is that presence, that glory, that smoke that descends, that fills, that power, that shakes. That's a wonderful part of being Pentecostal today. Hallelujah. I love this Pentecostal experience, and I want God to shake me up. Hallelujah. Young people, I understand that in the youth camp this week, you had a breakthrough. God blessed you. Thank God for that. I'm thankful. And I want you to bring all of that back here. Amen. Pour it out in this house. And while God is shaking you, and while God is blessing you, let him shake the pastor. Let him bless the pastor. Let him bless the church. Because you just raise your hands right now and give God praise in this house. Hallelujah. I want us to come this morning while they're getting ready to sing, and I want you to stand around this altar with your hands in the air. And I want you to pray, God, let your glory move in my life. Pray, God, let your glory move in this church. Let your